Hey, my name is Katie Pijanowski, and I'm a certified life coach and motivational speaker, and I'm here to help you unlock your true strength so you can create the life of your dreams. I teach you my best tips to master your mindset, create confidence, and empower yourself to take back your life. It's your time. This is the Mind and Body Strong Podcast. Welcome back to the Mind and Body Strong podcast. And today I have with me a special guest. Her name is Amanda Webster. And Amanda is a fitness model and wellness coach who overcame depression on her own terms after a near suicide attempt opened her eyes. After a year and a half of self-discovery and making healthy changes in her life, she was decertified as having a serious mental illness by the very people that told her it was impossible. She is passionate about helping others struggling with mental illness find balance and live their most fulfilling lives. When not helping her clients through her coaching, she's finding ways to give back. She's an enthusiastic vegan and frequently has at least one foster dog in her home. I love that. I love dogs. (laughs) She is also the Arizona chapter leader of Days for Girls and the Phoenix Derlingo French Ambassador, a language she taught herself from scratch in order to do more humanitarian work in Haiti and Africa. So I am just already so obsessed with her and her energy. She loves talking about like just bridging this gap between like mental and physical health, which is why I knew I had to bring her on here on the Mind of Body Strong podcast, because I know she's going to bring so much value to all of you listening. So Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here today. Of course. I'm super excited to get to know more about you, to hear your, your like take on the mind and body, like bridging the gap. Um, so I would love to just hear your story from your point of view, give it that personal touch, and we'll just kind of tie in that mind-body bridging the gap and go from there. Yeah, so that's actually kind of my branding is bridging the gap between mental and physical health because for some reason there's such a disconnect there that we don't remember that the brain is part of the body. I mean, it's in our head, it's in our body, and there's actually a nerve called the, the vagus nerve that starts at the base of the brain and runs down the neck, across the chest, and branches through the gut. So there's actually a very physical connection between what we're eating, what we're digesting, and what's going on in our brain. And for me, I mean, I was guinea pigged for so long on so many medications and just shoved from therapist to therapist to therapist pretty much my entire adult life and most of my teen years. And there just wasn't really any effectiveness there. And I struggled a lot with traumatic events in my life. I was sexually assaulted when I was 16. I lost both my parents in my early 20s. I had a lot of very traumatic events happen through my life. And I never really gained the experience to cope with those before they happen. I mean, that's kind of the ironic thing is that we don't ever get taught how to cope with trauma or how to cope with stress or how to cope with emotions or depression or anxiety or any of these things. So when I was tossed into this, I didn't really have a whole lot of coping mechanisms when I lost my dad. I mean, I turned to my mom and when I lost my mom, actually I, I used Linkin Park and their music to cope a lot through a lot of my depression and whatnot. And then the lead singer takes his life in 2017. And today actually would have been his birthday poetically enough, but I just, I didn't really know how to function as an adult. I didn't know how to adult. (laughs) I was never taught how to adult. I was taught science. 
I was taught biology, I was taught algebra and calculus, I was never taught how to, how to adult. And so when my mom passed, when I was 22, I was still living with her. I literally had to call my friend to walk me through laundry. Now I'm not saying I was an irresponsible teenager. I did, I did help out around the house and stuff, but I didn't even know how to do my own laundry. This is not something that, we don't get life skills in school. So shortly after Chester's passing, uh, Lead Singer of Lincoln Park, I just really started spiraling because I felt like I had no support system. I had no help. I had no, no resources. And I mean, I called the suicide hotline. I had taken medications. I'd seen the therapists. I did the yoga class. I read enough Wayne Dyer that I just wanted to gouge my eyes out. Nothing against Wayne Dyer. I love his, his books and stuff. But that's kind of the go-to, isn't it? Like Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra. If you read this book, it's going to change your life and everything's going to get better and you're going to be fine and never be depressed again. That's not true. Because it's not really just about that one thing, but we'll get to that in a minute. So by the time the fall of 2018 rolled around, I was just done. I was completely overwhelmed. I was constantly swimming in depression. I mean, like every moment of every day was a struggle for me at that point. And I had gone on a trip to Canada. A friend of mine had got me tickets to a Justin Timberlake concert in Quebec, Canada. I was excited because it was Justin Timberlake. I was also excited because I got to practice my French because we're in Quebec. Uh, I was in Quebec, but the concert went badly. And in some way, I guess it kind of broke my childhood, which was just my driving force. And I went back to my hotel room and I ended up just telling myself, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I don't have, I, I have nothing left to live for. My son will be better off without me. And I was outside my hotel room window ready to jump. And the right song was playing at the right time, like right outside my door at that exact moment, music came on, like literally the universe was holding up a boom box outside my door and it was Lincoln Park. And I'm just, okay, all right, I hear you. I don't know what's there. I don't know if this is God or Chester or my parents or an angel or, or Zeus or I don't know, but I hear you. And I did come down um, from the ledge, but I had no freaking idea what to do. Cause like I said, I'd already tried all this stuff and I said, okay, I hear you but I don't know what to do. I, I need some direction. And reflecting, you know, on my flight home and in the weeks following, I kind of realized that I knew, I knew inside what I needed to do. And I just thought it for so long. I'd actually majored in holistic nutrition uh, in Tempe, Arizona at the Southwest Institute of Healing Arts. And I majored as a mind-body wellness coach, as a mind-body wellness practitioner. But you kind of make excuses for yourself, you know, and you tell yourself, well, I went to the gym and I walked on the treadmill for five minutes. And I, I mean, I left there and, and, and ate cupcakes, but I went to the gym. So I was working out, you know, and that cupcake was gluten free and vegan. So it's fine. I, I, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm eating healthy. We know better inside. We know better mm -hmm. um, just instinctively. We know better. We know what we should be doing. And it was really just realizing that okay, I got to give my mind and my body a fighting chance. Because we realize, say when we drink alcohol, we realize that that's going to affect our mind. That when we consume that, when we put it in our mouths and it absorbs into our body, we realize that's going to affect us. If you give a child sugar, I don't know how many of y'all have kids, but you give a kid sugar, that food is going to affect them in their mind. And they will bounce off the freaking walls till they just hit the ground, like crash. But we don't make the connection with the rest of our food. And... That was my first step was really saying, okay, I need to give my brain a fighting chance. And I had to use what I would have learned um, through my schooling 
to kind of reassess where I was and reassess what I could be doing better and then adding in uh, physical activity and stuff. But another big point of it was lifestyle. I mean, if you surround yourself by toxic people or you're constantly trolling on your social media or you just have really nasty habits all the time that aren't serving you. Like I remember even when I wasn't really obsessed with, with social media, there were certain people, I'd go to their pages and every time I went, my feathers would get ruffled and I'd get really upset. And I just, oh, I can't believe this person believes this. And why are they posting this? And I had the choice not to go to their page, but for some reason I just mm -hmm. fed into that drama and it wasn't eating a salad. It wasn't taking a yoga class. It wasn't reading a Wayne Dyer book. It was really a matter of restructuring my whole life and everything about what I did and everything about what I believed and what I, what I learned and what I knew my whole life. Cause I mean, I grew up in steak and potato country in Missouri. I don't think I'd ever eaten a vegetable. My best friend can vouch for this. I grew up on Lunchables and pork chops. I don't think I ever, I didn't even know what a lot of vegetables were when we were learning about different vegetables and the nutrients they had when I was in school. I remember looking at some vegetables and going, what the hell is that? I've never seen that in my life. What is this? Oh my God. <laughs> so it's just, everything was so new to me at the time. And I didn't really realize, you know, the, how the different nutrients in the food would affect me. I mean, we're, we're so, we're so oversaturated with information about protein and about um, carbs and stuff, but nobody wants to talk about omegas and how that affects our mental health or about how, you know, sugar and getting an overabundance of sugar is going to affect our mental health. Nobody wants to talk about the foods that's going to affect serotonin and stuff. So I really think that that was completely and utterly the, the crux of what helped me turn from being on that ledge. Because I knew if I didn't make changes, I could step down. I could get down in that moment. That, that song brought me down. That was what brought me down in that moment was that song play. But if I didn't make changes in my life, I was going to end up right back on, on another ledge somewhere. Maybe not on that same ledge in, in Quebec, Canada, but I would have ended up on another ledge somewhere and nothing would have changed. Yeah. Oh, that's so powerful. And I was taking notes as you were talking and just how you you know, I love that it was just like that song and you just took that as a sign and you were like this, because that was one of the things I was curious about. And it's like, what, what makes you come down? And it's like, I knew the universe was telling me something. And you mentioned like, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew I had to find a way. And like your way was finding like nutrition and like fueling your body so that you could, like, like you said, give your brain a fighting chance. Like, you know, like, uh. I was in a really bad place in my mind at the time because, like I said, when I lost my mom and I went through all these traumatic experiences, I, I used uh, Lincoln Park and the music and, and Chester mm -hmm. and his experiences with his life to get through that. So when he took his life, my mind spiraled out of control. I thought, oh my God, I don't have my comfort blanket anymore. I don't have, I don't have my, my vice, the only healthy vice I ever had. I don't have anymore because I believed so much at the time that everything that he'd ever said was a lie and all the music was just a lie and everything I'd ever believed was a lie. So it took me some time really to process through yeah. the grief. It really affected me as grief. And I was told by a mental health professional that I was wrong in grieving Chester because I'd never met him. I sent a very, very colorful email yeah. to that uh, mental health professional. And fortunately she was really receptive about what I had to say once she realized where I was coming from. But I just said, how dare you? tell me what I should grieve. It's your job to tell me how to grieve, not what to grieve. Right. But I, I think that, like I said, we're not really equipped to deal with stress and anxiety 
and we're certainly not equipped to deal with grief. And people are so judgmental about grief that they tell us who we can grieve, how we should grieve, how long we should grieve. I mean, when my dad passed away, my mom, even though they were together, I, I want to say 22 years, something like 22 years, my mom was given three days bereavement to grieve her husband. Three days. And then she had to go back and put a smile on her face and pretend that everything was okay for her job. That's just sick. There is no way. When, when my mom passed away, there is no way I could have functionally went back to any level of normal after 72 hours. There's no way. And I think that that's a huge part, that, that, that gap between mental and physical health when you're grieving, that affects you physically. It makes you crave uh, sugary foods. It makes you crave like comfort foods. And likewise, when you're getting more and more lethargic from the grief and the depression, and you're eating more of these foods, now you're gonna become more depressed. So it's kind of a vicious cycle in that sense that you get sad, you don't cope with it. We're not taught how to cope with it. So we, we utilize food in many situations or sometimes even other vices. I, I struggled with cocaine addiction as well. We, we use some kind of vice to fill that grief because we don't know how to cope with it. So we try to turn it off. We try to make ourselves go numb. But I'm just to any Linkin Park fans out there. We try to make ourselves go numb. And by not coping with it, we're just making it worse. Now we're filling our bodies with all of these things that aren't good for us. They're going to feed the depression. Like alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant. So when we're drinking alcohol to cope with our grief or to cope with our stress, it's making us more depressed. Yeah. And just a crazy cycle. And once you're in it, like, I mean, I was in it myself when I was like grieving the loss of a really long-term relationship and didn't know how to cope with that. I felt like, you know, it was just the worst thing in the world. And I turned to food and it was just, like you said, when you're starting to fuel yourself with all these sugary foods, it just fuels the depression. And now your yep. body's lethargic. You don't want to move. And I was a fitness instructor at the time. So I felt like an imposter and it just spiraled every aspect of my life. So I'm curious then, since you've gone through this whole process and really restructured your whole life, like what have been some coping mechanisms that have maybe helped you not turn to food or drugs and really just cope with those emotions you're feeling? Well, there's, there's quite a few actually on a really direct um, point, running. I was told when I was born that I would never walk Well, my parents were told that I, I would never walk. So I always kind of had that tape in the back of my head that, oh, well, if you go to the gym and, and you kind of just walk for a few minutes on the treadmill, you're doing good because you were told you'd never walk. Well, one day I, got, I was early to a Zumba class. I decided to try and take a Zumba class and I was early. So I figured, okay, I'm going to walk a little bit on the treadmill. And I realized, you know, I just really need to get my cardio up right now. I was really upset at the time and I really just wanted to to kind of one or two minutes. I'm just going to run real fast for a minute or two. And that was kind of my breaking point because once I got to a quarter mile and I wasn't, you know, dying on the, on the gym floor, I realized, you know what, maybe I could just run a quarter mile. That's fine. It's, it's mm -hmm. just a quarter mile. I can do that. You know, when I come to the gym, I'll add that. And within a few weeks, I was up to a mile and then I was up to a mile and a quarter and then I was up to a mile and a half. And now I'll usually run about a mile and a half, two miles a day. And not only is that flooding my body with, you know, serotonin and, and oxytocin and all that, but it makes me feel on a mental level, like I'm running, I can run away from everything for a minute. I can just get away. I can leave those things behind. And it's very mm -hmm. symbolic to me. It's like, okay, I can't change things right now. Let's control what I can control, which is flooding my body with the feel good stuff and not the depressive stuff or the depressive feeling stuff. 
And at the same time, I really, I found this YouTube channel that I love. Like I said, I, I, I learned French or like you said, I learned French, taught myself French so that I could help uh, women in, in Africa and Haiti and whatnot. And I really, I fell in love with the language, but there was a really interesting side effect I didn't expect when I started learning this because I started learning it to help these women. And I ended up realizing that it's a really awesome mindfulness tool. And it's, it's one of those things that if I'm sitting there and I'm listening to a French video or I'm trying to formulate my thoughts in another language, I don't really have time to focus on the anxiety and the depression. And it became a super powerful tool for me to combat the thoughts when I was having thoughts of self-harming, when I was ha having cravings, when I was having a depressive spiral, sometimes just turning on a song or a video in French or maybe trying to make a little, um, a little recording or just talking to myself in the language, forcing myself, it forces your brain, it literally forces your brain to kind of recalibrate. And that, I wrote an article about it, you can find it on my website. I'd written an article about it for this popular language learning website blog and I linked it on my website under the podcast article section that talks about how and why I think that language learning could be a really interesting tool that most people don't think about for for coping with mental health and coping with mindfulness because mindfulness is actually one of the most powerful things to deal with anxiety and depression and cravings that we that we have it's one of the most powerful tools we have and something that gets ignored a lot and there was, of course, a lot of other little things when I'm really in that moment, when I'm really having a panic attack or I really start craving very hard. And that typically will happen if I'm really tired or I'm feeling dissociated or something very stressful is going on, like this whole virus situation. <laughs> uh, when stressful things happen, there are moments where, you know, I do get anxiety or I'll start having cravings for, for cocaine. And my big go-to is to run my feet under really hot water or my, not to the point of burning, but under as hot as I can tolerate without burning myself, or my hands under really cold water because it, it forces me to be mindful. It snaps me into reality. Because when you're sitting there and you start spiraling, when your mind starts spiraling in that snowball of negative self-talk, negative self-thinking, your mind is telling you, I mean, depending on, on what, what you're going off on, if you're craving, your mind's telling you, well, you just feel better if you just, if you just have a little bit, just have a little bit, you know where you could get it, just go get a little bit and you'll feel better and I'll take the edge off. Or if you're depressed and you're to the point of where you start getting most suicidal tendencies, you can start thinking, you know, like I did, my son would be better off without me. My friends don't really care. That self-talk starts getting really intense. And I found that just shock, kind of shocking my body back into the moment is, is really helpful for me when I get to that point, to that breaking point. Yeah, you brought up a lot of really great positive coping skills that have really helped you. I mean, running for sure and just movement in any way and um, you know, learning a language. That's something I never would have considered. And I loved when you brought that up, but I wrote it down myself because I never would have considered that myself as a mindful exercise, but it does. It kind of gets you out of that space of where you're just overthinking everything in your life and that, you know, mental tape that's playing in the yeah. back and it forces you to really think through this new learning process, which learning a language is, is tough. I would imagine. I, I don't know any other languages. <laughs> it very much is. It's very much a challenge. I mean, I fell in love with the language early on, so I really had a driving desire to learn more, but if you don't have that, it definitely feels like work, and I didn't expect it either. I went into it, like I said, wanting to help others, and I do, 
I did kind of want my son to know another language and now he goes to an immersion school so he learns English and French. So my nine-year-old can yell at me in two languages. That's what that's the power I gave my child. Go me. I gave my kid the power to back talk me in two languages. Uh, no, he's he's a great kid, but I didn't expect it either, but it, it does make a lot of sense. And even if you're talking to yourself about your feelings, like sometimes I will journal out my feelings in French. Is it perfect? Probably not. Who cares? That's not the point. Yeah. And I guarantee you, nobody really cares whether it's perfect. Even if you're talking to a native French speaker, they don't care. They're appreciative that you're trying to learn their language and not, you know, going to their country and expecting them to learn the language for you. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I've been to France and that was one of the things that I was like a study abroad that they told us, like, as long as you're giving it, you know, your best shot and you're not just coming up there saying, hey, do you speak English? <laughs> you yeah. speak English, right? Yeah. That's like disrespectful. Yeah, even if you just learn the basics, it goes a long yeah. way, you know, with those people. I say those people with other people. I don't mean those people. Yeah. With other people. Oh, that's so cool. You're like inspiring me to go like take on a new language. It's so fun. I mean, there's a lot of free apps nowadays, too. Uh, in the beginning, yeah. we were saying I'm the French ambassador for Duolingo. Duolingo is a free app that you can download, where you can go on their website. You can learn pretty much any language. They have a lot of languages on there that you can learn. And it's just fun. It feels like a game. I mean, I can get my nine-year-old to do these little lessons. He loves them. So it very much feels like a game. It doesn't feel like learning. And I'm a very extrinsic person. I have to have my gold star. I very much have to keep my streak. I think I have a 930 some odd day streak on Duolingo right now that I <laughs> practiced that. every day. But I, I'm a very extrinsic person. So for me, one of the things that really helped me moving forward through my healing was having a little chart of saying, okay, did I drink enough water today? Did I do 30 minutes of exercise today? Did I do at least 10 minutes of yoga? And I have to say right there, yoga has been great for me. It really has. I, I teach yoga. I'm certified in DDP yoga as well as um, just regular Hatha yoga. But people think that you have to go take an hour long class or that you have to set aside time to do some extravagant practice. For me, I'm an instructor. I do typically 10, 15 minutes a day. There's days, sure, that I, I will do a longer practice, absolutely, 30 minutes or so. But I'm telling you, I don't have the attention span to sit through an hour-long YouTube video on anything. No. Um, but but it's, just, it's not, that doesn't resonate with me, and that's okay. And the other funny thing is, is I can't touch my toes. So I'm going to tell you that little secret to all your, all your listeners. Despite me being a yoga instructor, I have a hamstring injury, I can't even touch my toes. So it amuses me when I have uh, clients and students that come to me all the time and say, well, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. And I tell them, that's like saying that you can't eat dinner because you're hungry. <laughs> you do yoga to become more flexible and to work on those things and to let go of the judgment that you're not flexible. Maybe I will never be able to touch my toes. That's not the point of yoga. Nobody gives a damn. The yoga gods aren't sitting up there going, well, she's not a real yogini, which is the female yogi. She's not a real yogini because she can't touch her toes. So we're not going to give her that enlightenment because she failed at yoga. <laughs> That's not how it works, friends. But it, even just a little bit, even if you're just running, you know, that quarter mile, like I was saying, even if you're just doing 10 minutes of yoga, even if you have a smoothie, or you add a green smoothie to your lunch, you know, there's little steps that we can take to start to bridge that gap. It's not like we all of a sudden have to go out and go completely gluten-free, vegan, organic, grass-fed, what other buzzwords are there nowadays? <laughs> Um, it's not like we have to make that jump right away. Although I, I, I do always advocate, um, 
my, my first things are always sugar. What, how much sugar are you, are you, are you taking? And especially it does, whether you're looking, no matter what your goal is, whether you're looking to lose weight, whether you're looking to reduce your risk of disease, whether you're looking to help yourself with anxiety and depression, sugar and meat and dairy are always my two things. I, I, I kind of analyze, okay, how much of these things are you taking in? Because there are a lot of things to consider um, in those three categories that can affect you. And right now, I just want to say with all of this going on with the, the coronavirus, it's, it's been an extremely interesting time of reflection for me because, you know, I remember a quote. It says, the doctor of the future will give no medication, but will interest their patients in the care of the human frame diet and in the cause and prevention of disease. Now, that sounds like a really new age concept, right? That sounds like something that must have come from a Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra book, right? Yeah. That was Thomas Edison. Oh, wow. So this is something that's been understood for a very long time. This is something that we have known and understood for a super long time. Yeah. We've known the connection between our, our, I don't like to say diet, I say more like nutrition regime. We, we've known for a long time the difference between our nutrition regime, or I'm sorry, the connection between our nutrition regime and the prevention of disease. We know that. So right now, I really have just been reiterating to people, yes, if you want to social distance, that's, that's great. Wash your hands. Those are great practical steps you can take to prevent the spread of this, this tragic disease. But at the same time, are you avoiding sugar? Because that's going to affect your immune system. Or are you eating plenty of vegetables? Because that's going to help boost your immune system because it has the, the micro and phytonutrients in it. It has um, the fruits and stuff. are going to have antioxidants in it. Are you getting sleep? Because lack of sleep and stress, guess what? Da -da -da, yeah. Will affect your immune system. Um, getting the sun. Yeah, getting your sun. Getting 30 minutes of sun a day. I mean, I know a lot, yeah. some of us, I don't know what all your listeners are from, might not be able to really get outside, outside, depending on the regulations right now. But at least just, you know, sitting on your porch, getting 30 minutes of sun to get that vitamin D is going to be really good for your immunity and your like mood forget about that as like a nourishment thing but like being in the sun and like out in the just outdoors is like so helpful for your health it really is because it's going to boost your vitamin d it's going to help you maintain like balanced levels of serotonin and stuff so yeah i think a lot of people don't don't recognize that i mean there's also some herbs and stuff uh, home treatments that you can be taking just to kind of give yourself an extra little boost. I really like elderberry tea. Elderberry tea is really, really awesome. Echinacea is really good. So if you're just wanting to make yourself a nice little tea, I also just posted a immunity boosting smoothie recipe on my website. So if you're looking for ideas to boost your immunity during this time, it's also really important. If you're staying inside, you can be bleaching all the live long day, which by the way, is not good for you either. Um, no. <laughs> bleach, bleach is not a good chemical to be using. There are other ways to disinfect your house even from the coronavirus. But if you're sitting inside and you're eating crap and you're binging Netflix and you're not keeping up with your, with your exercise and your physical care, I mean, what are most people doing right now? They're sitting here reading the news. They're reading the news obsessively, constantly learning about all things. Yeah, getting more and more paranoid, anxious, worried, not taking care of themselves because now they're paranoid, anxious, and worried. So it's, oh my God, this the world is ending and it, it's it's turning into the whole chicken little, the sky is falling. Like, yeah. That's what it's become. We're looking out the window every day going, oh my God, the sky is falling. I'm sitting here thinking, while well, y'all are hoarding toilet paper, <laughs> and I'm not sure why that's what you're hoarding. I, I understand. I totally understand the mentality of needing to control. That's what this is. People yeah. are afraid. 
because they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't know what's going to unfold as, as this virus uh, continues to sweep across the world. We don't know what to expect, but really, uh, that's, that's what you're going to go for is toilet paper, not basic necessities. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we can live without toilet paper. Is it yeah. a little uncomfortable? Sure, but you have a shower right there next to your toilet. Right, jump in the shower. The worst case, yeah, worst case scenario, jump in the sh- shake it off a little bit, jump in the shower, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I, I understand the need for control, but there's, there's much healthier ways to control th- things in your life. Control the things that you can. Don't, the thing that frustrates me the most about this is the people that are most affected by the coronavirus, um, from what we know right now, are the elderly and immunocompromised. And those are the ones that can't be really leaving their house anyway a lot, especially the elderly. They might not be able to leave their house a lot. So they only go, I mean, I was a caregiver for a while, and the lady I caregave for, she would only go once a week to go get her groceries. So now when she goes once a week, she's not able to get the things she needs. So while all these people are selfishly hoarding, for no clear reason, because even where the virus has hit the worst in Italy right now, their supermarkets are still open. There's absolutely no necessity to be hoarding groceries and stuff right now. It's just that need for to control. So I really implore anyone listening to think of healthier ways to get some control in your life. It's totally normal that you're, you're wanting some level of control, that you're wanting some level of understanding but let's do what we can do. Let's do what we can do in a healthy way that's not having a negative impact on other people and how they're living their lives right now and how they're surviving. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's such a relevant thing that's going on in the world right now. And, you know, it's just like taking that time to reflect and see like, what do I need to do? What's healthy for me? And that's really kind of what I wanted to like end with and um, ask you is like, what does healthy mean for you? And I really want to kind of end on that note because you've given so much great information so far. Well, thank you. It's, it's, it's a really tricky question because I feel like really it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. I mean, health to someone, let's say if you're an addict, someone who's an addict, healthy to them might just be, you know, being free of addiction. Someone who weighs 300 pounds being healthy to them might just be losing some weight. Um, Getting healthy is a noble quest because, I mean, it's on the top of everyone's resolution list every January 1st and it doesn't have a one-size-fits-all definition per se, but I think we know, like I said before, I knew that I was being unhealthy. I knew that I was making unhealthy decisions. I knew that I wasn't doing what was best for my body. And the, de- the dictionary definition of healthy is beneficial to one's physical, mental, or emotional state, something that's conducive or associated with good health or reduced risk of disease. So I think really being educated on what is good for your body, good for your mind, and be really being mindful again to when I do this, when I eat XYZ food, when I spend this much time on social media, when I t- drink this alcohol, how does it make me feel? And not just right afterwards, because coming from an ex-addict, uh, coming from a recovered addict, you might feel good right afterwards. How are you going to feel later? How is it going to affect your body in the long run? Making sure that you're making the best choices you can for not just the short term, but the long term. What is really genuinely going to make you happy? And I don't mean superficial happiness that comes from a glass of wine that's going to distract us from everything going on in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's really genuinely going to make your mind and body feel good? 
Absolutely. That was wonderful. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today, Amanda. And where can my listeners come hang out with you on social media or website? Where do you want them to go? Um, yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Amanda Webster Health. I also, you can take a trip over to my website, amandawebsterhealth.com. Like I said, there's a lot of recipes. I just posted an immunity boosting smoothie, yeah. but also on the main page, when you sign up for my mailing list, you'll actually get a free PDF that has the top 10 nutrients that affect mental health. So if you're kind of curious more about this mind-body connection and some of the things that are really going to affect mental health and the foods that you can be eating to bridge that gap, you can download that free PDF there. And if you have any questions, if you want to share your story, if you need somebody to talk to, or you have some questions about nutrition or fitness or mental health, I'd be happy to talk to you guys. Perfect. Well, we'll link up all your, your links in the, in the show notes so that everyone can find you. And thank you so much again for spending time with us today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Mind and Body Strong podcast. You are what makes this movement and message possible. If you loved this episode, share it with a friend, a coworker, a family member, or take a screenshot and share it on your favorite social media platform and tag Mind and Body Strong. To learn more about coaching and courses to help you take your journey to the next level, visit mindandbodystrong.com.